Welcome to the Adult Stepchild Podcast. I'm your host, Misty Kelishek. I would love to interview you or your friends if you have a story that you would like to share about what it's like growing up in a blended family. If you have a submission for consideration, please reach out to me by email at theadultstepchild at gmail.com. Thanks. In today's episode, I talked to Wyatt, and he describes what it's like for he and his brother having a broken home due to his mother's addictive personality, his father's violence, and he talks about a string of bad decisions that causes instability throughout his entire childhood. Thanks to Wyatt for this one, and thank you for listening. Well, I was born in Los Angeles, California. My mom and dad met in the Navy and were stationed at Long Beach and had me and my brother pretty soon uh, back to back. We're only 17 months apart. And then not, mm-hmm. not long after my brother was born, my dad, you know, started exhibiting signs of violence towards my mom. And, and so she was raised in Georgia, but was living in California away from her family. So decided that it would be best if she left him, brought the kids back to Georgia uh, where her parents, who were financially stable, could kind of help her out. And then, uh, so she brought us back to Georgia at an early age. And uh, basically, we moved in with our grandparents, her mom and dad. But she was pretty young and beautiful and had an issue with drugs and liked to party. And so she wasn't around a lot. She ended up living with different friends and different boyfriends while my brother and I stayed with our grandparents and one particular season when she was actually pretty far away from us uh, she had moved to Florida with this man and my grandparents would not let us live down there with her and him because they didn't know him Mm -hmm. they uh, they were taking pretty good care of us our dad shows up out of the blue when I was four years old and basically just comes and takes us from our grandparents and we didn't really know him that well at that point you know I hadn't seen him since I was probably 19 or 20 months old and uh, then he comes and gets us when I'm four and basically kidnaps us for about six months takes us all the way back to California and leaves us with his mother and uh, no one you know knows where we are at that time you know they assume that he's the one that got us but they can't prove it and my mom is where did he take you from how did he we were in so basically he came and he told my grandparents he was coming to wanted to visit us well they were really uh really skeptical because they didn't they all had only heard bad things but he's a very charming man and um they thought well if one parent's not going to be around maybe maybe the other parent would want to see him you know because they kind of felt bad their mom was just kind of flighty yeah and so they they let him come visit us and he said he was going to take us out to get some shoes he said I want to go buy the boys some shoes and they let him take us to the store and they never saw us again for six months crazy so he leaves us with his mom in um in California and uh you know, she wasn't necessarily expecting to get us, but she took pretty good care of us. We didn't see him for six months, really. He dropped us off there, and then we never saw him again, really, that I remember, until he came back one day, 
and we were settled in with our grandmother in California. And he comes back one day and uh, she makes this big feast and he gets really drunk and angry and they have a terrible fight. And next thing I know, he's put us in the car and driving us back to Georgia. And he drops us off at the driveway of our grandparents where he took us. Mm -hmm. And we have only seen him one other time since then. And so we, he's kind of been out of our life, but our mom, after that episode, um, of just being afraid of like, he might come get us again, you know, demanded that we come live with her and this guy in Florida and parents allowed that to happen. And that was probably the biggest mistake they made. Uh, and so that was pretty traumatic, probably more traumatic than being kidnapped, living that one month in Florida with our mom and this crazy, abusive, drug addicted man who introduced us to terrible things at such an early age. I mean, oh, he was a horrible man, so violent. And we saw some terrible things that he did our mom, like witnessed them. And we just saw our mom just, she could not get it together. She was always crying, always suicidal, always threatening to leave. So after about a month of that, <clears throat> Uh, our grandparents made us come back to live with them. How and did they know what was going on? Were you able to tell them? I think the we, we were not actually. I think, um, so the way that we got to Florida, uh, my mom, uh, my grandparents both had a lot of brothers and sisters. So my mom was very close to a lot of her first cousins because they all grew up together in <clears throat> rural Georgia. And um so the first cousins, a lot of them treated me and my brother, you know, like we were our grandparents' kids. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, they were always around. And there was this one, his name is Eddie, and he uh, basically took us, he didn't have any children of his own at the time, and he was single, and he just loved me and my brother. So he volunteered to take me and my brother to Florida. He was real close to my mom mm -hmm. and uh, drove us all the way down there and kind of saw the conditions that he was leaving us in. Yeah. And so he kind of kept close, I think just out of instinct, kind of kept close watch. And right. I remember coming to visit a couple of times just out of the blue and um, trying to talk my mom into leaving this guy and threatening to take us back to our grandparents or to tell the grandparents. Um, it was crazy. Anyway, somehow after a month, and I, I'm the only reason I know the timeline is I was, I mean, I was only like five and a half, six years old at the time. Um, yeah. The only way I know the timeline is just because of my grandmother telling me the story of it later on when I became an adult, she was kind of filling in some gaps in my memory okay. and, uh, and kind of confirming, confirming things that I knew or that I thought I knew. And so we go back to live with our grandparents. Well, in the meantime, they're in the process. They lived in Stockbridge, Georgia and they had just bought uh, a, a campground. They bought some property in Hiawassee, Georgia, and were trying to make it into a campground. My grandfather was in the CCCs, and right after World War II, him and his brothers helped build Vogel State Park and a lot of the other state parks up here in the North Georgia mountains. Oh, wow. And he fell in love with the area, so he decided to come, when he retired, move up here and open a campground. So, and while all this was happening, you know, um, he is in the middle of driving back and forth up here to fix this campground up. 
Well, they decide to move full time, but they have two houses in Georgia. And as they're moving, my mom decides to get married. She decides that she wants to be around her kids. And the only way she's going to do that and the way that her parents are going to allow her to be with her kids is if she's in a stable relationship and able to take care of us and proving to them that she can take care of us because they had footed her bill for way too long. So she decides to marry this man, probably the first man that was nice to her. And oh my gosh, she was married to him for 18 months and we went to live with her and him in our grandparents' second house. So we were close by, but yet um, in under the roof of this really, really crazy man, he just was so nice at the beginning. And then overnight, he just was so destructive. My brother and I, that a whole 18 months living with him was so traumatic. Uh, my mom had a hysterectomy during that marriage and she was only 29 at the time. And basically that kind of started a period of just her living her rest of her life as a hypochondriac, always trying to get medicine or do what she could to. She you know she worked on the Naval base in the hospital part as a, a medical worker. And so she just kind of knew the ways to, to get prolong any illness or prolong any kind of um, medical thing. So I remember about that, that most of that 18 months she spent in the bed. And so our stepfather, um, we'll call him uh, Bobby or, or we'll just say Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Our stepfather, Bob, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but um he it was very just just so mean he just was I don't know how to explain it I hate to use the word white trash but he was just <laughs> just so vicious and angry at the, the 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 way what life dealt him and took it out on everybody and yeah. he came horrible childhood himself evidently so my brother and I you know we <clears throat> our grandparents were, were a little distracted then so we kind of just you know, fell through the cracks at that point, I would say. And our mom was trying her best to keep appearances up that she was, you know, providing a good home for us. Until one day she just decided she could not live with this man anymore and just realized how crazy he was. So she left him uh, after 18 months. And my brother and I went to live with her our grandparents provided a little camper that they had bought to put on the campground actually but yeah. they parked the camper in the yard of my aunt it was a really small camper and we lived there my whole second grade year okay. with my mom uh and and her trying to work a job as a waitress and our aunt kind of taking care of us and we loved that that was pretty fun actually for me and my brother yeah. because uh our two cousins my aunt's daughters lived in the house that uh, we were parked in the yard and um so we were playing with them all the time I always had access to tv and toys and just you know our mom you know sometimes she would come home sometimes she wouldn't she definitely was a partier so after about a year of that uh my grandparents you know once they got established uh, my third grade year we just uh, they decided to just make they moved me and my brother to around with them in Hiawassee and that's where we were raised um, with, with our grandparents. And then the next year, my mom moves up and marries the guy that lives across the street. It's just so she could be close to us. Yeah. Um, 
and she meets this guy whose family had developed all the land across the street from the campground and built all these beautiful houses on on this creek and um they hit it off and my mom you know she's she was attractive and this guy was in like early 30s never had been married before and was smitten by my mom so they got married pretty soon and they were married for 15 years mm-hmm. and lived across the street from my brother and I and we never lived in the house with them but he was an interesting mm-hmm. fella and did not like kids and the dynamic of our grandparents, our mom, and then this sore thumb of a guy, like just sticking out in our family, it was made every holiday pretty odd. And he was never abusive to us, but he did make us feel horrible about ourselves and, uh-huh. and was very good at sarcasm, very sarcastic. I don't guess you can be good at it, but he was very sarcastic. <laughs> um just, I don't know, everything me and my brother, every decision we made, every decision our grandparents made for us was just stupid and silly. And he undermined them every moment, except when it would come to the point where, well, why don't they come live with you guys? If y'all can do better, then he would balk at that. Like we, you know, he, he rarely liked us spending the night over there, but we did try to make a big deal about us coming over Friday nights when we were younger to have like movie night and spend the night and she would make us breakfast on Saturday mornings and or try to do some kind of outing on the weekend she really tried she just honestly had no idea how to be a parent I mean and she didn't even know how to be a wife she just was marrying men to get approval from my grandparents yeah but our stepdad our second stepdad uh he was really into science fiction and so in order to bond with us, he, um, he really, you know, he would get us excited about going to the movies. That's one thing my brother and I love to do as kids, because there was no movie theaters really up here in Hiawassee. You had to drive to Blue Ridge to see a movie, or you had to drive, um, if you could, if the uh, drive-in and Clayton was working, then <laughs> sometimes it would be, yeah. you know, not working all the time. Yeah. Uh, but so my stepdad would love to go to movies, but he loved to watch these science fiction, really weird movies that my brother and I could care less about. Um, but he would, I would have to say, he did take us to the movies a lot, even though we, we had to watch movies we didn't like or never would have chosen. Um, yeah. So he tried to bond with us. Uh, he just was, he just did not get kids. He, he hated it. He couldn't even stand the fact that you know, we didn't know not to blow our nose at the table. I remember one incident where he, (laughs) he like was so vicious to my brother because my brother was sniffling at the table. He basically shoved a napkin up his nose at the table and just was like, just, just disgusted the rest of the night. But that's about the worst abuse he got. But we did always feel horrible. We felt horrible when we were at their house because we always felt like we were doing something wrong or terrible. And yeah. coming from parents who made us, you know, basically treated us like, you know, we were, couldn't be touched after that kidnapping. You know, they basically put a gate around the campground so no one would ever come get yeah. us ever. Uh-huh. But anyway, that's kind of my, my the outline of my story. And I don't know if you have any specific questions about dynamics, but there definitely was a lot. <laughs> 
Um, wow. Let me think about that. It's, <laughs> it sounds terrible. <laughs> um, I mean, we, I felt like my brother and I were raised by many people because that campground was full most of the time, especially through um, April through November, you know, yeah. we had so many surrogate parents, you know. I could it, see that the campground would be a fun place for a kid to live because there's probably kids coming and going and. It was so great. Maybe, yeah, yeah, good places to play. Oh, yeah. I bet that was good. And the cool thing about my mom and stepdad's house, he was a builder. And he actually still lives there. I hope he hope he doesn't hear this because I, you know, I have a good relationship with him. I don't I was, have that kind of audience. <laughs> I don't. I don't yeah. worry about that. I mean, he's a, he was a he was a nice man, and he, you know, he built a, a great life for my mom, and he he always worked really hard. He built some beautiful houses, and um, actually, I have two of my guitars. It's so ironic. Four years ago, I actually sold the campground and moved out. And, I, and me and my brother inherited it and I sold it. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to Arizona for the winter and was winterizing the house. And um, I had to store some guitars. I had two guitars. So I haven't seen my real dad since I was seven years old. My grandparents let him come to the campground one other time after the kidnapping to visit us. Mm -hmm. But that was, you know, a, a heavily supervised visit. And I think that he just got fed up with the way my grandparents were hovering over him that day. Honestly, I, my brother and I both now believe that my grandfather probably threatened him to never come back ever again. You know, I think mm -hmm. he was easing him that day. Um, but uh, what I was going to say, I lost my train of thought. Um, you were talking about a guitar. Yeah. So um, after that, after he came to that visit, he did hold up a promise that he would send us a couple of guitars that his grandfather had left him. Um, when they were actually both bought in Mexico where his grandfather, my, my dad is half Spanish, half Mexican. So his mother and father, his father was full blood, full Spanish. His mother, uh, my only living grandparent who still is um, alive out in Los Angeles, God bless her in her house because you can't go anywhere they are on total lockdown out there and she's 88 and very susceptible to the virus so she right. I haven't I did go I tried to visit her once a year and I was able to see her the week before everything shut down in March so I'm uh -huh. happy about that but yeah anyway she's still alive she's full-blooded Mexican wonderful lady um, still stayed in our life after the kidnapping um, and but she um Oh, anyway, her father played guitar and he was from Mexico and had two guitars that he gave to my dad. And my dad sent those to me and my brother back in, you know, mid eighties. And I've held on to them um, as a musician. I've held on to them all these years. Well, when I sold the campground about four years ago, I went to my, across the street to my ex stepdad's house and said, can I store these guitars here? Go see my ex stepdad to get my guitars back. Yeah. He's been holding them for four years. So that's the last time I actually saw him. I lost touch with him. He divorced my mom in 2000. They had been married for 15 years. In the year 2000, he divorced her. And uh, you know, I re I'm reluctant to bring this up because it's so murky, the details. Um, 
but I was old enough to remember most of them. But back in right after their divorce or during their divorce, they had such a my mom was such a volatile person and she was used to drugs heavily. And so that was one of the main reasons he divorced her is because he got tired of her pill popping and everything. And so once she he left her, she didn't really have anything. And so she moved away. But I, in the process, there was some kind of really terrible things going on. And she refused to leave the house that they lived in. And um, back in 1998, before the divorce was final, she was found on the creek bank, um, brutally beaten. Uh, her temperature was about 48 to 50 degrees. Mm -hmm. She had no fingernails on any of her hands where she had been thrown in the river and clawed her way up the creek bank like oh like there was absolutely no fingernails on any of her hands she her eyes were full of leaves and debris um, she was almost blinded she was uh, bloodied and bruised from head to toe and it was in December of 1998. It was a very cold night. My my grandmother, at the time I was working as a youth minister at a local church. And on it was a Sunday. And I on every Sunday, I would go and stay the whole day at the church because I would do Sunday school. And then I would stay for the service. And then after service, I would, uh, the, the, kid, the youth were coming back at six o'clock that evening. So I would just stay and organize activities and games and get my lesson plan together but every Sunday a parent would come and provide a meal for the student or for the, yeah. the youth I had a pretty yeah. strong group of like 17 18 kids and so and the parents were very supportive so every Sunday I would get one of them to fix something cool for us to eat and get them involved as well well this particular Sunday um, I didn't have a uh, didn't have it lined up. So my grandmother volunteered to make tacos, which is hilarious because my non-Mexican grandmother who raised me learned how to make tacos from my real Mexican grandmother uh -huh. and ended up, you know, making the best tacos ever. <laughs> but nice. um, so my grandma, my granny who raised me was going to bring tacos to the church and she didn't show up. And uh, this was in 98. So I didn't have a cell phone. So I called yeah. from the church. And my grandfather answered the phone and he was very worried, had a very worried voice and was reluctant to tell me what was going on. And he said, uh, he said, something's um, going down, uh, but I'm bringing the tacos. Your granny's not bringing them. And so I'm thinking the worst. I'm thinking uh, that my grandmother, something's happened to her. But then I'm also thinking if something's happened to her, my grandfather's not going to be bringing tacos. So I was yeah. trying to organized my mind what was going on plus I had all these kids at this church that were starving and so sure enough my grandfather shows up with these tacos and he basically says he's he looks stunned he basically says your mom's in the hospital um, when you wrap this up here you need to stop by the hospital and I was freaking out and I went ahead and just sent everybody home with their tacos and like yeah straight to the hospital and sure enough what had happened is no one had heard from my mom all day and she was actually living across the street in the house that her and my stepdad lived in but he they were separated so he was not living there and she was allowed to live there until the divorce was final mm -hmm. um and 
my grandmother was getting a hold of her to see if she wanted to ride to the church and drop off the tacos, you know, just because she hadn't heard from her. She was calling my mom to see if she wanted to ride with her and couldn't get her. So drove to her house and found her in the yard. And evidently someone had come and attacked my mom and thrown her in the river. That's, that was the story. And my stepfather went on trial for attempted murder. He was arrested uh -huh. for attempted murder and went on trial for that. But he uh -huh. was um, acquitted because of my mom's past history of drug abuse. Um, oh, wow. So the argument of the defense was that she had done this to herself. And, um, wow. you know, it was terrible. It was terrible. My brother and I. You know, both that happens a lot. I hear like if, if a woman is leading a high risk lifestyle, she basically doesn't deserve the same defense as if someone who wasn't, you know, even though the attack's the same, even though, you know, it, there seems to be a real bias as to whether or not somebody deserves proper defense based on their life choices, which is really sad. Especially in a small town when the, I looked over at the jury and I knew everyone on the jury. So everyone on the jury grew up knowing or knew me and my brother. They knew that we were raised by our grandparents. They knew the conditions that are, you know, we were very well known in the community. My grandparents were very well known in the community. Um, it just was almost a joke. At the time, I remember thinking, you know, I was 25 years old at the time. And I remember thinking, this is just a joke. They should have tried this in another county because yeah. your nose and even I, you know, the, there was no, nothing in her system, according to her, um, you know, I mean, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation are the ones that brought the charges. The state of Georgia brought the charges because they, you know, determined that she, didn't was not intoxicated she could not have put, done these injuries to herself there was no other evidence of who else it could be that would do that to her and they she had, named him oh yes she, and they had yeah claimed yeah. yeah she remembered the whole incident she mm -hmm. you know basically claimed that he he came into the house they had an argument now you know my mom you know i'm not justifying any of this at all uh, but i do know that she in order if he did do something like that she had the capability of pushing him to that point so I don't know I you know I testified against him my brother testified against him um, but he still stayed friendly to both of us even throughout all that he totally understood uh, my grandparents, my grandmother believed her, but my grandfather really had a hard time believing it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think that years after that, you know, they had such a history of bringing up each other's past, my grandparents and my mom. Yeah. That was just the way that they behaved towards each other. It was just, mm -hmm. you did this. I can't believe you did this. Well, this is what you right. did to these boys. I mean, it's just were always coming up. I can't really yeah. believe you would put them in this situation or well, you told them that I did this and that's a lie. I mean, that's just the way that they interacted with each other. And so sometimes my grandfather would believe her. And then on times when he was mad at her, he didn't believe her, you know, and it was just more ammunition against her. Yeah. And she just never lived that down. And eventually 
you know, my grandmother died two or four years after it happened. Um, she passed away. And after she passed away, it's like no one brought it up ever again. Yeah. But remember my grandmother, it haunted her because she's the one that found my mom in that state. And mm-hmm. she just could not believe that no one was brought to justice and that no one could be- would not believe my mom. It was yeah. really hard for my grandmother to to accept that um but so as an adult man what do you think now what have your thoughts around it changed yeah no, no and at the time you know I was an adult when it happened right I was 20, 25 it happened and 25 yeah. the trial <clears throat> I mean I saw my mom at the hospital after she like within an hour of her being found mm-hmm. like literally my grandfather when I called him about the tacos, like he had just gotten off the phone with my frantic granny who was waiting on an ambulance, like an ambulance had not even gotten there yet. And so I saw my mom within that hour of her being brought to the hospital where she, she hadn't even been cleaned up yet. So I saw her, her hands and her fingernails and her eyes and her cuts and her bruises and the, her lip, how it was just like hanging off her face. And Mm -hmm just there's no way you can do that to yourself so I, right. I believe that she made him very angry he was never that kind of person but he was very easily um annoyed but mm-hmm. I mean I know that she is capable of making someone very mad and yeah believe that he did he came in and I don't know. I don't know how dramatic it got. I don't know how she ended in the river. I don't know if that's something that she could have done herself. If she was, you know, she had a history of, you know, suicide attempts as well, but gosh, that's not the way that you want to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised she was alive that my grandmother found her alive because she was all night in the, it was snowing. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing that she lived. So you talked about the church um, are you still involved in the church now? I'm not. No, I uh, was. I did youth ministry for about six and a half years out of college, and then um, I gave that up. I just I decided it was not my calling, and that it really is not something that I was, you know, wanted to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to pursue music. Yeah. Was there um, any part of that time in your life that served to help you get through your childhood? Was it something that you used as a tool to create stability or how did your faith at the time play into the way you were able to survive the situation? Um, well, it helped me kind of understand, you know, I had a, it was really, even though we had a great childhood growing up on the campground, we were able to be kids. We got to play a lot. It was just, I think my brother and I had to deal with a lot of tension. Well, I thought at the time that we were dealing with more tension than other people, but being a youth minister honestly helped me realize just how tense most children's households are Mm -hmm. and just how tense most households are and that, you know, children are innocent victims of adult children acting out and that's, that's how, a great description yeah and they're learning they're learning these behaviors and 
and you know i what helped me to cope the reason i thought i would be a great youth minister is i'm even now at 45 years old i, I mean i live my life like a 28 year old i always joke yeah. about it. you know i just i'm just young i feel very youthful i always have felt youthful um very um i like to find silliness and things even though I can be very like heavy if you listen to my music you're like what does he talk about <laughs> he's very all my songs are very dark and sad and deep or whatever but um yeah. but uh I I'm very light-hearted and I love to have a good time I love to, to play games I love to um tap into that that innocent part of me that 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 is just you know that wants to play and wants to have um, wants to be loved and wants to, and that's what I saw when I was a youth minister. These, these kids would come, a lot of them were from broken homes. I mean, the ones that I gravitated to most were the ones that had really unconventional home lives. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, that's really always intrigued me growing up too. Like if I found, if I was at, in school with someone else and it, uh, my best friend in, in high school actually was raised by his grandparents, you know, he was being raised by his grandparents. And um, I just thought that was so interesting when I, the day, I remember the day I found out that he was lived with his grandparents. I thought I had, you know, won the lottery. I was like, how in the world is this possible that, you know, the only other person being raised by their grandparent is my friend. But then yeah. I realized that that is so common, especially yeah. in rural areas. It's so yeah. common yeah. where the families are close knit and there's, you know, um, I mean, plus people just aren't equipped to, my, not everyone's equipped to be a parent. And, you know, I kind of celebrate how self-aware my dad and mom both were about, they're just like, we can't do this. So yeah. I think it's, if you live with your grandparents, I mean, I kind of celebrate that self-awareness. A lot of people don't have it. A lot of people will sludge through and provide you know, a horrible life for their family. <laughs> and my mom didn't know how her husbands were going to be towards us. She didn't think about those things. She right. didn't, she hoped that they would see what she was trying to do. And I realized this now, now my mom has been dead. Go, she'll, it's almost been six years. My, my, both my grandparents are gone. And so is my mom. And, okay. uh, and I had not spoken to my stepdad since the trial and then about a month after the funeral, my mom's funeral, he drove up. He had just heard the news because he was actually, he has a place in Costa Rica too. So he goes back and forth. And um, he uh, had, he come up and to the, where I lived and, you know, told me that he was sorry to hear the news and wanted to know details and, and um, was happy to hear that she didn't die of drug abuse, dr you know, drug drugs even though drugs contributed to you know her unhealthy lifestyle which is what eventually her her heart but um he you know at least she did. i you know when i found her i said on the 911 call i my mom has od'd that's what i thought when i found right. her in the because that was what i always believed was going to happen i believed right. that i'm going to find my mom dead of a drug overdose but she didn't have anything in her system and was, it was complete 
heart failure, of course, from years of abuse, but still I was, right. I was relieved to know that it was not a, a drug overdose. But, so it's almost like she died without scandal. And that was a relief to everybody around her in a way. It really was. And even yeah. to my dad, when I told him that he was relieved to know that because while he has never admitted to what, you know, he went on trial for, he's always, you know, defended, said that he did not do that. I do believe that he felt bad at the bad rap my mom was given in that courtroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was just decimated. Yeah. Personnel or her. Um, Character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so listening to you, even though the details are pretty grim, you sound optimistic overall, are you? I am um, because I just, I've realized the things I've learned from some of these, these events, I don't really revisit them very often. Um, I don't necessarily write about them in my songs. I might write about the tension. The tension may inform some of my songs, but I you know, I just spent some time with my brother in Arizona. He lives in Arizona and um, he remembers things a little different than me. You know, he probably won't speak as positive about things. I think he has a negative, he has a negative view on things more than I do. Um, But he seems to be thriving more in his life. If you were going to put us side by side, I wouldn't say I'm not thriving, but he you know, has four beautiful children and a beautiful wife, a beautiful house and a a great, great business and lives in the sunshine all the time. (laughs) And (laughs) I'm sitting out here looking at this cold trees. I don't even want to go outside today. (laughs) (laughs) A least favorite time of year. But, um, but I think that I look, I sound optimistic or positive because I, just realized over even this last this last year that you know the more I stay in the present moment um the more the truth is that I'm okay but if I live in the past then I can convince myself that I'm not okay and there is something terribly wrong with my life and Mm -hmm. things went horribly wrong and if only this had been different if only this had been better then my life would be different today. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I lived a long time like that. And it's silly to me how many, many years I wasted believing that you can go back and change something and you just can't, it just doesn't even really exist anymore. Yeah. You know, there's scars and there's, you know, if I see something that reminds me of like, um, I think talking about those stupid sci-fi movies that my, now I like sci-fi movies, but back yeah. then I, I remember there was this one he took us, took us to see um, when we were kids and can't remember the name of the movie, um, but it was on TV not too long ago in a hotel room I was staying in. And I just, I never had thought about that movie ever since. And yeah. that theme came on and I just, I did get really sad when that, when I came across that on the TV, because I just thought to myself, if only she had married someone that could 
repair her relationship with her parents. Yeah. That's something she didn't know how to do. But if she could have found someone that really cared about family dynamics and tried, you know, all my grandparents wanted to see was, you know, take these boys hiking, take these boys down the river, like show them that you are interested in their life and that you don't want to just, you know, have sex with their mom. (laughs) That's basically, that's basically the vibe I always got from my grandparents. How old were your grandparents Um, when they were raising you? Let me think. Um, so my grandfather would have been 51 years old when I moved in with them full time in the mountain, in the mountains. And my grandmother would have been 46. So the this year, Uh Um, I'm 47 and I have a seven year old. And when you said that, I thought, I wonder if they're my age because Um, when my nephews come to visit, I'm like, please take him out and play with him because I, you know, I've got a pretty good parenting skill set, but I do not have the stamina to keep up with that kid. And so I can only imagine with there being two of you that that's, that's what your grandparents wanted so badly too, is just to take them outside and wear them out. They have so much energy. (laughs) They just believe that he had no interest whatsoever in his wife's two children. It just yeah. blew it blew them away yeah. <laughs> and they very vocal about it and gave my mom hell about it and it's like yeah. if and him and my mom would go on trips they like he would you know take her to the Bahamas and you know my mom would be made to feel guilty but for not taking us yeah and my brother and I are thinking we don't want to go with y'all he's an he's a jerk to yeah. us we would yeah. not have fun I mean, we can't even burp at, you know, in the car, losing his mind, you know, Yeah. like little kids. He just was very, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe him because I've been so away from him so long. And he, and he has been as an adult, he's been, you know, he helped me get a loan. He's co-signed a loan with me. He co-signed a loan with my brother. As adults, he was very different. It's like once we crossed the threshold of being kids and we could, you know, we had more manners or we, you know, he was able to talk to us about, then he was different. Yeah. But at that point, you know, he was so angry with my mom. Like he basically sludged through that merit. Like, I mean, they probably had five happy years and 10 miserable years. Would you ever want to ask him about that? Or is that just off limits? Because I would be curious to know, like, why, what was broken in him that made him so uncomfortable with kids and, and just his side of the story. You know, I, I've never thought about that ever, um, uh, of the mindset when I'm around him to, like, never mention my mom or my grandparents or, mm-hmm. I mean, he, his conversation always goes to how, you know, how's your brother doing? What's he doing now? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how. I don't know if I would ever, I was having a conversation the other day with somebody else about um, uh, someone else in my family that passed away before I was able to confront something with them. And they asked me, they said, are you, did you ever confront them before they died? And I said, I would never, ever, ever go there. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know, part of me just, I don't really want to know. I don't, 
I, I think I already know the answer. And so I don't want to have this 70 year old man break down on me <laughs> and, right. uh, and, and I don't need an apology from him at all. I totally yeah. get it. I mean, I get it. I see it now as a, you know, as an adult, I, I see exactly what probably went down and what happened, you know, he, he was a single man at 30 something years old and this attractive woman comes into his life and it made sense. Yeah. Oh, your kids live across the street. Sure. Let's get married. Let's hang out. You know, let's, yeah. <laughs> and then I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> well, and yeah. I mean, if you know in your gut that that's not even a question that occurred to you, that's not a question you want to ask and probably not somewhere that he wants to go, then what's the point in it? Sure. I don't, yeah. I don't need it. <laughs> need to know I think I already do and I don't need him to apologize you know what I need is I need to go get my guitars <laughs> and then yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't talk about see, it anymore, see him anymore yeah but I'm and glad I was <laughs> you don't have children your brother has four you said four children I have no children mm -hmm. um, don't have any children either has being around his children made you see yourself differently at their ages that's been a big one for me like oh. I look at my son as he you know moves through the years and I remember what was going on in my life during those times and we're having a very different experience mm -hmm. and <clears throat> looking at it from my own memories versus a mom's perspective it's just it's amazing it's amazing the different perspective you have when that's your kid and your responsibility I definitely you know uh, my brother's two of his boys look just like him yeah he, he had a surprise baby a year and a half a year ago he just turned mm -hmm. one my brother's 43 and they had a, a surprise baby and um because his other three kids are you know 22 20 and 18 years Holy old cow. wow and then the one-year-old so <laughs> the Arizona three times in the last three months because I just can't stop pinching that baby's cheeks he's so cute yeah but he looks just like my brother. And when he cries and wails, you know, I, I feel this like, when I mean, my brother and I were so young riding in the floorboard of a car from Georgia to California. Mm -hmm. And I saw my brother cry a lot, you know, with this wail cry. And, you know, to hear his new baby do that is just, it's kind of endearing because it, yeah. it makes this, you know, me and my brother as kids, we're not as close as adults. We're not definitely not close as a lot of brothers. Um, uh, we have gotten closer um, because of, you know, the new baby and everything. And when his other kids were younger, you know, I, mean, I was very big in their life and made a point to, you know, try to visit them as often as I could I was living in Nashville most of the time when they were growing up here and then they moved to Arizona right after my mom died so they've been gone five five and a half years but I would have to say to answer your question that working as a youth minister really allowed that I think that's what I was drawn I was drawn to that position because because I was able to kind of vicariously live through some of these youth uh, like a happier childhood or a more stable, um, I don't know, encourage them to make more stable decisions at, at mm -hmm. that age 
than I probably would have made because of mm-hmm. the influence I had from my mom or grandparents at the time. So, yeah, so I would say, yeah, being around kids that are that age and being reminded of who I was at that age, it definitely, um, I, I, I compare that a lot. Even now I will look, you know, I don't know how, I don't know. I could never raise a child. I don't think I can barely, I tried to have a dog for a week and (laughs) I was emotionally, it was so emotionally hard for me to leave him when I went to work. <laughs> I could, you know, I, I just couldn't do it. He just, I mean, I don't know. It's really sad. I, maybe this is on subject, but I would leave that dog. Someone uh, was giving me a dog that they were rehoming. And I have always been afraid of dogs my whole life like deathly afraid. Like it, I mean, I used to deliver oxygen for Lynn care and half the houses I wouldn't even go in because, you know, I just dropped their oxygen takes on the porch because I could not be around there. But, um, back when my grandfather passed away, I was living at the campground and someone was going to give me a dog that I had kind of been around since the dog was a puppy. And, um, so they gave me this dog and he lived with me for a week on that campground and I was grieving my grandfather so bad and just so emotional. And then this dog was also in an emotional state because I took, you know, he was away from what he knew, even though he loved being at the campground and loved having that room to play. And he loved me. Um, it just, he was, his anxiety was like at a level I've never seen with a do- an animal before. And I didn't know how to handle it. And, you know, I would leave to go, I had a little day job. I would leave to go work. And this dog was just a basket case. I even left him with my mom for like an hour, ran to Home Depot. And it was, uh, <laughs> my mom said that the dog howled and, cried the whole entire time and looked up at my picture on the wall at her house (laughs) and so when she told me that story it just like it broke my heart because I I I had more flashbacks from my childhood that week putting up with that dog than I had ever being around children and I I just remember that longing when my mom would leave or when our dad you know when the thought of not having a dad or our dad was supposed to come see us, but he didn't show up. Um, I remember feeling like that dog, like that, yeah. that just being Total left. Heartbreak. Yeah. Total heartbreak and being left. And when are you going to come pining? When are you going to come back? Mm-hmm. It was, that's the thing that tapped into my childhood pain more than anything. And, so, you know, I, I was my mom's biggest fan, but she, made my life a living hell and she was very hard person to get along with and a very hard person to love but she was my mom no matter what she did to us um you know I always loved her and I miss her more than any anybody that I've ever lost in my life and uh, I think that's the way it's always going to be yeah she did not have good taste in men yeah well yeah she just came from a different generation that probably wasn't empowered enough to have good taste in men. I, I can see that for sure. I agree. Yeah. With that. 
Um, so my impression of who you are as an adult right now, as you were telling that, is almost that you're overly responsible, that you're so aware of, of the requirements and the responsibility required to be a good parent, that you'd, you'd rather not do that than to A, be triggered, and to B, risk failing. It's just too big. That and honestly, I have inherited, if I've inherited one thing from my parents, it's that I'm very self-aware how selfish I am. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, one thing I see with my brother and his wife and their kids, uh, I, I see how, you know, once you have kids, you know, you either make the decision to do it or you don't. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you're forced, when you're faced with things that you just have to do, you know, hopefully the human spirit will follow through and do that, you know, and I believe there's some people out there that do that. And, you know, everybody tells me why you would be a great father, you'd be a great father, but, and I probably, you know, would be a fun father, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just, I just well, don't think it's I thought you I probably wanted. would be, and it sounds like you probably have a lot of love to give too, but I, you know, I've never been one to sugarcoat parenting. If there's any part of you that thinks that it's a bad idea, don't do it yeah. <laughs> because it's hard. I mean, I didn't have my child until I was 40 and up until then I was kind of a workaholic and had a lot of fun and traveled and did what I wanted and all that goes away, all that goes away. And um, just the freedom to do the job that you want and the freedom to explore who you are. It's just gone. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's all about somebody else at that point. And if, and if you, you know, if you feel hesitant about handing that part of yourself over, don't do it. There's yeah. plenty of kids here on this earth. You don't have to have one. Well, that's the, and that's another thing that I feel very strongly about is I, you know, there's too many children that, that need a home. And if I were able to provide a home, to a child, um, I, just, I just personally, I would feel selfish about bringing another child in the world instead of providing one for someone that's already here that doesn't have that. Yeah. Um, but I have waited a long time and waited too long to discover myself. And so that's what I'm going to parent for a while as myself. Anything else you want to say about what it's like to live in a blended family? Um, I would say that I don't think I would go change anything just because I don't know what would happen if you change that one thing that you want to change. I don't want everything else to change too. And I think that that's the reality is if you do change that one thing, everything else changes. And so I'm happy to say that I was raised um, with great morals and a great work ethic and a good heart. And I am not a terrible human being and <laughs> parents, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing as I collect these stories, the things that people suffer through and come out on the other side of it just fine. <laughs> and it's encouraging as a parent that I screw up a little bit it's not the end of the world well it's not you know I mean we're resilient and you just have to I mean you have to kind of 
you have to like yourself before you're going to be able to like anyone else, especially a mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you so much. And thank you for this talk. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.